I'm Peter High, the president of MetaStrategy, book author, Forbes columnist, and your host. I'm excited to share this conversation with Cynthia Stoddard, the senior vice president and chief information officer of Adobe, the maker of multimedia and creativity software products with revenues exceeding $11 billion annually. Cynthia graciously shared her thoughts on a variety of topics featured in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. The book's available for pre-order on Amazon now or through gettingtonimble.com. In this interview, we dive into several of the book's themes, including people and technology. Cynthia shares insights into how she motivates her team and how robotic process automation can boost morale by automating repetitive tasks. We also discuss Adobe's journey to become a cloud-native company, the ways in which enterprise architecture can impact culture, and a variety of other topics. Stick around after the interview to hear more about the five themes of Getting to Nimble, or visit gettingtonimble.com to learn more. Thank you. This interview kicked off with Cynthia providing insights about the importance of enterprise architecture. When I look at you know, some of the work we've done at Adobe, what kind of jumped out is the enterprise architecture. Mm, because please. We lump, yeah, we lump a lot of different things into the enterprise architecture, including some of the cultural change, you know, getting people on board and thinking differently, like, you know, dev, DevOps and change yeah. management and all of that. But when I look at how we structured some of the enterprise architecture work and what we did there, and then also how we structured creating an identity for Adobe IT, and then having you know a rallying cry for that identity, which is we will have cloud-like characteristics in our DNA, right? That kind of set the tone for you know the kind of the change we needed in people's minds, and then the change you know translated to how people thought about what they did differently, how they architected differently, and you know the rest is kind of history. So maybe starting talking about architecture and how we approach that might be a good place. That's great. That's really great. We'd love, we'd love to get your thoughts there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, we, you know, we wanted to adopt these cloud-like principles. And when I had joined uh, Adobe almost four years back now, you know, Adobe IT wasn't broken. You know, it needed some tune-ups here and there, but it wasn't broken. You know, many times you go into organizations and you have to redo everything. That wasn't the case here. But clearly we needed a new way of thinking and um, a new way of approaching how we worked as an organization. And the organization needed an identity. You know, going from an organization that used to run batch jobs and, you know, to, to get invoices out on a weekly and monthly basis and all of that to, you know, supporting a commerce site that, you know, runs 90% of our, you know, our consumer business is a lot different, right? It's a different way of thinking and working. So what I did was we had kind of this listening tour, you know, talk to business people, uh, talk to peers. And then most importantly, I think, uh, in addition to the business, the business input was talk to the people in the grassroots. You know, what do you think is working? What is not working? And I have to say that you get such a tremendous amount of information by doing that, right? Because then you hear what's really really going on. And it's one thing to talk to people and get their opinions. But then the other area, the other item here, is that you have to listen to them, right? And you have to act. And I've been always upfront that you can't act on everything because sometimes, you know, everything doesn't make sense or it's just not the right time or, or whatever, but you can act on a lot, right? 
So we got all this stuff put together and, you know, then we did a series of workshops and we brought in people from, you know, across the organization from, you know, my directs all the way down to individual contributors. So clearly everybody had a voice. And then we came up with um, an identity for IT. So we formulated a new identity for IT and then kind of had this rallying cry around that. And then people were having some difficulty saying, how do I really make a contribution? So we really had to come up with, you know, this is kind of the vision, the statement for, and that's where we came up with, we need to have uh, cloud-like characteristics in our DNA. And when I got up to explain that, people would say, hey, does that mean, you know, for operations and, you know, design and everything? I said, yeah, it does, but it's more than that. It's deeper than that because everybody in IT has a customer, you know, you're working within a team or, you know, you're servicing somebody else in IT. You could be an, an administrator, right? Or a DBA and you have a customer, but that customer isn't necessarily in a business unit and that customer isn't necessarily directly outside, right? So I said, you have to think about how you approach your customers and what you do and really try to take yourselves out of the equation. Right. If you think about a cloud in the way that a cloud operates, it's easy to use. It's extensible. There's self-service, right? There's all these characteristics. And actually, I have a slide with all the characteristics on it. And I said, think about these characteristics and then take them into your day-to-day -day job and then figure out what you can do in order to make what you do with your team, with yourself, cloud-like. Right. And that's where, you know, this concept of architecture first came into play. The concept of like, take this out of the equation, take IT out of the equation, not eliminate IT. Right. We don't want to eliminate IT, but we want to make IT easy to work with, like really easy to work with. So you're not waiting in line in the IT queue. So, you know, people thought of, well, I can take this particular function and make it self-service right? So a business user can do it themselves. And we came up with what we called um, an IT identity award. And the IT identity award recognizes and rewards the different behaviors that support our identity and the ability to move to this cloud-like world. And we give individual, and then we give these great team uh, awards out actually at each quarter at our all hands. And it's become a really big deal. I mean, the types of contributions that we get, the types of things that people do is, is really pretty, pretty amazing. So it kind of goes along a few of the topics. It's enterprise architecture, which I can talk more about architecture first and how we kind of pushed our architecture, you know, roadmap through the organization. But then it's really thinking about how do you think about what I do in a totally different manner so that I am easy to use as a public cloud. I, I like that. I, I I love the analogies you drew as well, like from the broader business that you're in. And, and frankly, I see the parallels, of course, with EA. And like you really are getting into sort of shaping the culture in a different way, tuning it and, and creating an awareness in a way that perhaps wasn't there before, which I find to be a particularly powerful story also. In order to motivate everyone in the right direction, you need to, you know, foster the right behaviors, you know, give them the rationale as to why you're doing these things, award those who are, who are doing it especially well, hopefully providing incentives to others to follow in their footsteps and so forth. So it really sounds like a very well thought out, you know, change management and culture program as well. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, the story or, you know, to look at the final chapter and see, you know, things are working and they are working because I see the, the shift in how we approach, how we work with our business users and how people look at, at what they do. And I can, you know, talk more a little bit later about how we've even, even approached, you know, RPA, you know, injecting RPA into everything that we do, which is a big change, right? Because you're saying I have all this work over here and I want to eliminate the toil and do it a different way. And, you know, that's also kind of a, a culture change where people get a little bit, you know, leery about it. It's like, oh, if I do that, then what am I going to do? Well, you know, you, you do something that's better, right? Because you keep reinventing yourself. But yeah, I think that, I think that it has been working for the organization because people have really, you know, adopted the, you know, the lingo, they, I mean, they nominate each other. We now even have business people who nominate people in the organization for the award, which is really fantastic because that means they're being recognized outside of our, you know, our little department, you know, as, you know, making contributions. And it's a lot different than saying, okay, architecturally, you're going to move to the cloud, <laughs> right? So we want everybody to move to the public cloud. And if you're like, why? You know, I've got this, you know, nice, comfortable world that I'm in. And today, you know, why do I need to do anything, right? So you kind of make it fun. And what I have found over the years is that you really have to help connect to the individual contributor, right? Like what... You know, they're working on something and you put up company goals and objectives and it's like, how do I really contribute to that, right? So if you break it down into different steps and different pieces and make it easy to understand, then they can think, yeah, you know, if, if I make this self-service and somebody can do it a lot quicker, then, hey, I'm helping that, that goal of agility for the company, right? So, you know, if you do that type of thing, then people can connect and they feel more engaged. And when they're more engaged, then better things just happen. And what an interesting like way to, to again, kind of approach innovation and new ideas and, you know, connecting the dots on some of those areas as well. I think that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So we also approached architecture to move to the cloud. Yeah. Because right? I think, you know, part of what you're looking at is, you know, if you have all this old stuff, how do you actually move it into the future, right? And, you know, there's, there's different ways of doing that. You can say, I'm going to throw everything out and start all over, or I'm going to, you know, do it incrementally and then, you know, work in this incremental fashion with, with what I have. And I'm not a proponent of throwing everything out because um, I think there's value in what has been done in the past. And, you know, some of what I've said to my organization is there's, you know, really not been a bad decision. You know, if you think about things in the past and if we're going to go back and change it, it wasn't that we're changing it now because it was a bad decision a few years ago. It was a decision that was made at the time for a good reason. But times change and business change. So therefore, you kind of have to upgrade some of the decisions that you make along the way, right? So good three years ago, maybe not so good right now for what the, what the business looks like today. So kind of approached it that way. And then said, okay, how do we look at what we have within the organization and how do we, you know, move to cloud or, you know, we call it cloud native, you know, in a very controlled manner. So we actually came up with stages of, 
you know, before you get to cloud native, you're, you're cloud enabled, right? You're cloud light. And part of it is looking at your applications and then breaking them apart in a control manner. So you don't move from A to C altogether in one fell swoop. You make it in small steps. And, you know, then we had this one application that, you know, went through the three steps to actually become cloud native. And then we had, a, you know, moving to the cloud celebration, you know, at one of the all hands to show that this application moved into the cloud and, you know, had a blast off, you know, from on-prem into, into the cloud. But it took time, right? And it took stages. So it wasn't all or nothing. It's okay, we're going to work on these components. And, get, and if we work on these components and enable it here, it's going to get to stage one. And then we're going to, you know, work with it there. Then we're going to go to stage two and, you know, do more. And then finally, we're going to move it to, you know, full cloud native. So we've done it in stages. And then in other areas, we've actually looked at our legacy systems to say, okay, you know, if the base of our back office is SAP, which it's SAP, you know, how do we get SAP to, to be a bit more modern in, you know, what it does? So we've taken different components of SAP and actually, you know, replicated some of the functionality in the cloud. So if we need to do maintenance or something with SAP, those are active, right? And SAP can go do its thing. And guess what? Customers don't know. So it's up and running from an end customer perspective, but yet the core of what we have with all the business rules that have been there for X plus years remains intact. So there's different ways of looking at what you have in your legacy. And depending on what it is, you can use different approaches to get it into that, either that cloud native mode, if you require cloud native. And in the one that we did move to cloud native, we required it because it was complete customer facing in our customer support area, or if it needs to be more cloud enabled, right? So that you know you can keep things running and moving while you're doing critical operations on the back end. That's, it's interesting, Cindy. What's one of the things that's so fascinating about your story is your transformation was happening as the business generally was becoming a cloud-oriented business as well, which of course was not its roots originally, but as, as the organization turned more and more towards a you know, cloud-based model, subscription-based model, these sorts of things, you know, was it, I, I assume it was, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it, of operating in lockstep with some of the changes that the broader enterprise was going through with its yeah. product set, for example. Can you talk a bit about how you sort of, you know, thought about that as, as a, you know, a continuation or a, a running, par running parallel kinds of activities with the broader, broader enterprise and its product? Yeah, and that's where, you know, you get into things like Agile, right? You can't do waterfall in order to keep that lockstep with the business. You just can't do that. You need to have different ways of working so you can adjust. Because, you know, it would be wonderful to have everything worked out, you know, so you know it's step one, two, three, four, five. But you know, business doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> you have step one and then it's, oh, okay, well, let's do this or let's try that or let's go over here. In order to be that lockstep with the business, you have to be flexible. You have to be agile. You have to have, you know, the right bits and pieces and chunks of work put together in order to do that. And you have to have the right mindset to say, okay, I have this portfolio of work. 
but I have to allow a certain amount of flexibility in there because, you know, maybe I have 20% churn a year of things that are just going to come in that I didn't know about, right? So you have to have that. And so being able to set up those scrum teams to be able to be agile, get things done, have work, you know, kind of come in, you know, as needed and, you know, the ability to support it. You have DevOps up there, you know, with DevOps too, right? So it's not throwing stuff over the fence and saying, hey, I'm going to do it and I'm going to throw it over the fence to somebody else to fix everything that I do. It's that, you know, that view of accountability. So I'm developing, I'm working with the business, and then I have the accountability to make sure that it's going to run and it has that quality component built in. So all of those get into it. Be great. I mean, it'd be great if you could tell me what the next six months are. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have a crystal ball, exactly, especially during these trying times. <laughs> That's right. But you can't, right? You can't. So, I mean, even this year, if you think about it, you know, it's like, okay, we're going this way. Now, you know, our customers have, you know, different needs that they have. So kind of pivoting to, you know, do different things in that area. And we have to support it. And the workforce too, if I look at internally, you know, the work from home and everything that we had to do from work from home, it was a pivot to work from home and making sure that we have the right tools and, and, you know, collaboration right at people's fingertips to keep moving in, in, you know, at the speed that they're used to. I'd be interested also, um, Cindy, as you, as you talk about the, the changes that you've enacted, almost every one of the ones that you've gone through in terms of the move to the cloud, in terms of the institutionalization of, of agile practices, of DevOps, and so on. I have to imagine, although, of course, you like, no one could have predicted that the next economic downturn would have been caused by a health crisis and that it would take the form that it has of all of us working from our homes and interacting, you know, if we are interacting at all, interacting as you and I are right now virtually. Um, but it strikes me that the moves that you've made have added to the resilience of an organization like Adobe, that, that, that the great work done by leading CIOs in creating greater resiliency in various forms of, of institutionalizing tools that facilitate virtual work, of you know, enhancing things like security, which obviously has a you know, greater emphasis during a time like this as well for good reason. The work of modernizing the practices of a, of a large complex organization like yours, I have to imagine that though this is not an easy time, at least helped facilitate a lot of the changes that have that have happened. Is that, is that a fair hypothesis? Yeah, that's, that's really fair. Something else that we did when we did all of that, you know, from the grassroots, you know, interviewing and bubbling up is looked at all the, all the types of activities that support employees. Like there's uh, your, your conference rooms, your collaboration tools, your mobile phones, you know, a whole bunch of different different task management, you know, things like that, you know, help systems, things in a typical IT, you know, department is all kind of dispersed, right? You'll have your net, your, your internal net, there are things with the network group. You'll have your, you know, collaboration tools over in some kind of an infrastructure area, you know, all over the place. So what I did was I pulled them all together under one individual, right? So, and she, her name is Tony, and she has a I mean, she is just 
so uh, dedicated to employees, right? She is just the most caring person around and she just internalizes this. And we said, okay, let's pull it all together and you be the total focal point into the HR organization. And, you know, we looked at how we deal with facilities, we looked at how we do with HR, we looked at our collaboration tools to say, okay, how do we get a holistic approach to how we equip our employees? Because one of the things I had said is like Adobe is super great at the experience with customers, right? We equip our customers to give their customers the best experiences in the world. Well, we need to take that same philosophy internally into Adobe and say, let's use those same principles and let's equip our employees to be, you know, the most productive and, you know, really happy. And we had looked at different personas. So like a persona would be a builder or communicator or things like that. And then we said, you know, one size does not fit all. Okay. And let's gear the tools to the different personas. Uh -huh. So we had that. And then it's like, okay, let's set up so we can be as independent as we, as we possibly can, you know, working and things like that. So a lot of our work from home and, you know, our click over to work from home, you know, went really smoothly because we had looked at it from this persona-based view. And then we also said, okay, how do we make sure the tools are geared to the different classes of, you know, what people do day in and day out? And let's take an employee view, not a tool view, right? We're not just going to say, okay, use this tool. We want to understand how the employees need to use the tools. So, you know, we went to, you know, BlueJeans for one-click video conferencing so instead of, you know, using five different tools and things like that. So that's been instrumental and it's been a different way of thinking about really organizational design, but organizational design from the point of view of how do you create that better experience for the employee? That's interesting. I, I would love to, I'd love to understand a little bit further as you get into some of the other process points or technology points, you, you'd mentioned enterprise architecture. I don't know if there's more you'd like to tell in terms of the journey towards, you know, uh, modernizing your practices through EA that you'd want to cover? Yeah, so on the, on the EA, you know, I mentioned the different stages, you know, you want to get to cloud native, but then we had cloud enabled and cloud resilient. And the way that we explain this is, you know, you have to have your architectural principles. So we have an enterprise architecture group that set that up, but it's really familiarizing people with different patterns and how they should look at it. So it's one thing to take principles and then, you know, just put them in a book on a shelf someplace or a virtual book on a virtual shelf. But it's another thing to explain to people. So we did a lot of, I would say, learning sessions so people can understand patterns. We put into place an architectural board so that, you know, people can bring their designs in, they get critiqued. And it's all extremely lightweight. So it's part of the process that people will go through, part of the development process, and very lightweight, but people are getting the feedback along the way so that they can tweak their designs and adjust to the principles that, that we have. So it's kind of like this architecture first, and you know, really you know, understanding how you can get to, get to that view of being cloud, cloud native. And there's the technology component, but there's also the business capability. So you have to not only look at the technology, the technology is very important as we, as we know, 
But even more important is enabling the business capability and understanding what those business capabilities are, putting yourself in the, in, you know, in the shoes of the business user and really trying to understand, you know, what are their pains? You know, how can I make this better? How can I apply technology? So it isn't just, a, okay, we have this, you know, this view of technology and we have this blueprint and we're going to take it and apply it across the board. It's how do we look at what that business problem is and how do we adapt the technology to really help solve it in a way that makes sense, right? So I think that that's really, really important. So that solutioning component, that iterating with the business, communication. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, right, communication, yeah. So that going back and forth, I think is really, really key in the architecture. So it's not just the technology. Architecture is a lot about understanding the business, understanding the business patterns, and understanding what they could be. So understanding what's going on in the industry, maybe in, you know, in different groups, so you can bring those learnings in. And then really being that, that partner with business to make recommendations on how things could be different. Because they don't know, right? Sometimes they don't know. That's, yeah, very well put. Uh, Related to that, there's obviously like a strategy component to EA as well, like that that informs sort of where where the needs of the future might be and, you know, what you can either pull forward from the existing architecture versus the new capabilities that need to be brought to bear, just to give a kind of generic example there. I'd be curious how you think about, you know, weaving yourself into the strategic plans of the rest of the organization and how that informs the development of IT zone strategy. How how do you think about the strategic planning process, both like, you know, in concert with the rest of the organization, but also for your own organization? I think it's, I think it's ongoing. I think it's gets into the area of relationships and, you know, being tight with the business and, you know, understanding where they are today and where they want to go. And the only way that you can do that is really by being close and participating in, you know, different sessions and strategy sessions or meetings or, you know, monthly reviews or, you know, whatever the mechanism is, is to get close to the business. Because I think the days of, you know, preparing a three to five year strategy plan, you know, are kind of gone. It's really, you know, what is the view? You know, what is the strategy and how do those principles, you know, stay over a period of time? And then how do we develop the business against that? And the way that you get that feedback is to stay close, stay close to, you know, your your finance groups, your marketing groups, your sales groups, and understand what they're doing, what their pain points are, and kind of what that vision ahead is, what the competitive landscape is. And the way that I view it is myself and my staffers, we're kind of that translator, you know, into the group to say, hey, this is what's going on within the organization, or you need to think about this because, you know, maybe in six months, it's going to be a different world. So think about how you would approach it if the world looked like this, or, you know, if the business went that way, what would happen with the design? So I think it's, you know, bringing those different questions and ideas to the table to kind of challenge the IT teams to think a little bit differently outside of the box. But clearly the leadership within IT, you know, CIO and their staffers has to stay close to the business and be part of those day-to-day discussions. That's well said. I wonder if you could talk a bit about your collaboration with customers and or peers and or the VC community, uh, executive recruiters, vendor partners, et cetera, as 
you know, sources of insight, inspiration, you know, the, the, the way in which you interact with them to draw out those insights, you know, any, any thoughts you care to share there? Yeah, um, customer, very, very important. When I talk to my team, I say, put yourself in, you know, the customer's shoes and try to think about what their needs would be. You know, in addition to doing all the traditional um, CIO stuff, you know, I also run what we call reliability engineering, which runs things like Creative Cloud and Document Cloud, you know, and all of our infrastructure for, for products and also internal for the IT applications. So, you know, in that world, reliability, four nines, super, super important, right? Quality, super, super important because you want that experience with your customers. So it's like, okay, if you were a customer, what would your experience want to be on a website? You know, right? You know, what would your experience want to be when you're placing an order? You know, if you go out to support, what would your experience want to be in a support world? So all these things think about, because in addition to touching, you know, big companies, Adobe, we touch a lot of consumers in mid-market. So I would say the customer um, feedback is extremely important, putting yourself in the customer's shoes. I spend time with customers, you know, in our briefing center and, you know, talking to them at, you know, various conferences. Now the conferences are virtual, which is, um, which is great because the conversations are, are just as good as in person. And it's very interesting to hear their strategies and how they're, you know, approaching, you know, what they're doing within their organizations to digitize or where their challenges are. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes like my organization will have some issues thinking about, well, you know, how is this product really used? Or what value are we really contributing? Or, you know, whatever question. And, you know, based on the conversations with the customers, I can say, well, you know, in this particular industry group, this is how this is used. Or have you thought about this particular use case, right? Because I was talking to this CIO and they indicated they were going to do that. You know, so, you know, just having those real life examples to be able to share with the team, I mean, it's invaluable. So I share it with, you know, of course, with my directs, but monthly we do this monthly business review, which is a larger group of IT managers. So they get to hear some of this stuff also within that forum as well. So customer input, really important. I've always kind of referred to myself as a customer facing CIO because I feel the customer is really, really key. And, you know, I will, I think, maintain that forever that, you know, the customer comes first and that that helps formulate a lot of the plans that you have in the organization. Peers, really important. It's, it's Some of whom are your customers as well, which yeah, is kind of an interesting thing about your business. Are, yeah, that's right. They are customers for sure. We have peers that are customers. So there, there is that. But also, you know, it could be different industry groups. But when you look at some of the IT challenges, guess what? They're the same, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of sharing that we could do across the board. You know, how we solve different problems, how we, you know, approach, you know, vendor management, just a whole wide variety of topics. Some people are farther ahead in certain areas. Some people are behind, you know, so just sharing and, you know, getting that feedback and experiences. I mean, it's great. It's great. So lots of, lots of good information there. And then, you know, you know think outside of the box, right? 
you know, they have a view of different technologies that are coming down the down the road. And what I like to do there is bring those conversations into our enterprise um, architecture group and then say, hey, you know, you know, how can we possibly use this or maybe not use it, but how do we think about things differently if we think about these problems that people are trying to solve? So I think the VCs are um, really important in, you know, kind of jogging thoughts that you may not think about because you get so in the moment with what you need to do day in and day out that maybe you don't think about the future that much sometimes. And then you get out and you have conversations with them and you think, oh, wow, well, I could do this differently. Or I could look at, you know, analytics or robotics or something in a whole different, different manner. So the touch points outside of the company, I think are really, really important. Years ago, when I was in transportation, um, we were designing a customer support system. And, you know, people said, well, you know, why don't you go to FedEx and why don't you do this and why don't, why don't you do that? You know where I went at the time? <laughs> I went to L.L. Bean. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, they used to be, I don't know if they still are, but they used to be like the leader in customer support, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I took a team to LL Bean and we got so many different examples of how they dealt with the customer in a retail setting. We took that back to logistics and, you know, we had what we thought on the board, we made all these adjustments and it turned out to be a much better solution. So you can learn a lot from other industry groups. So the outside touch, that outside connection, I think is really, really critical. And actually I would imagine that it, it's those sorts of scenarios. So LL Bean was not a competitor of yours, but translating what works well for them back into your environment, as opposed to, for example, think about your direct competition and, and, and finding me too opportunities. In some ways that kind of helps inspire even more creative ideas, I would imagine anyway, that translation from a different industry into your own. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, you can look at financial services and, you know, from customer management and say, you know, they've been managing customers and, you know, portfolios for a long time. So you can learn from that. So I think there's a lot of ways that you can learn from, you know, like groups outside the company and then bring those internal and it just makes it richer. I encourage people to get outside connections, you know, network internally, but also to have outside connections because they're just so, so important to, you know, being a learner, right? A lifelong learner. And yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, given the amount of change that you've ushered in, understandably, for the reasons that you've described, Cynthia, um, do you have like a formal change management program or how do you think about change management um, as you're introducing the new or replacing the old, so to say? Yes. Yeah, so when we launched, you know, this vision to have the cloud-like characteristics in our, in our DNA, we actually had a program that we call the IT operating model. Now we have since, after a couple of years, roll that into, it's just operating, right? Because it's been part, it's become part of the, you know, the DNA, it's been part of the norm, but we ran it as a program actually. So we had different tracks, you know, from the grassroots efforts that we had, you know, people came up with different, different improvements and we ran these kind of process improvements as tracks of a program. And yeah, there was change management that, you know, went along with it in order to keep it moving. Because unless you run it and track it, you know, things are not, 
are not going to happen. The other thing that we did is regionally, we ran workshops in every region to say, okay, if, if we want to improve in operations, you know, this year, okay, let's see what this region can come up with in that region. So we actually did two in India, one in the Americas, one in Europe. So we did four a year for the past, for the past three years. And then all these ideas kind of bubbled up that became action items that that fed you know the plan you know the plan that that we were executing and you know people say that they have ideas right they're actioned you know they become real and you know it just kind of feeds the success going going forward so we did we did actually you know run it as a program and right now it's just kind of operationalized into our office of the CIO now where we're looking at you know continuous improvement more than actually running a formal program that makes sense. That's interesting. I wanted to also ask you a little bit about as you as you contemplate. I don't know if you have a, have a perspective you care to share on the use of microservices and APIs and leveraging those as like part of the architecture that you're putting forward. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that is actually part of our cloud-like characteristics. Is we've adopted uh, microservices, you know, APIs, so being API enabled. And if you think about it, it falls directly in line with our, you know, the self-service component, right? If you have an API, you can be self-service. So you're, somebody can access your service through the rules of the API, and you don't need to go, you know, knocking on Peter's door and beg for an integration and things like that. So absolutely, those are definitely key components of our architecture. The other one is, I mentioned a little bit um, before, is automation, so RPA robotic process automation. So we've looked at it in a number of different areas. We've looked at it within my area, within operations and said, okay, how do we look at repetitive tasks and automate that? How do we look at um, things that might break and predict that they're going to break and, you know, have robots look at that and fix it in advance? So we've done that in the operations area. And then also partnering with finance and procurement uh, created a center of excellence for RPA, where we're looking at business processes and saying, okay, how do we inject, you know, robots into that to work side by side, the humans um, that we have, our employees, and help them out. Because our philosophy is not to replace, but to augment, right, and to have those virtual workers. So part of the architecture, too, in the self-service is the automation component that we want to inject in. I like that. And as you think about um, leveraging RPA as an example or other innovative technologies, how do you think about, do, do you have a part of your team that explores those, that's thinking about the art of the possible, that, I mean, a, like a lab of sorts, whether literally or figuratively, that is testing new technologies and their potential relevance to the, to the company and to the IT department? We don't have a particular group. I would say that at Adobe, we feel that good ideas and creative ideas can come from anywhere and anybody within the company. So that's our, our philosophy. And um, what I like to do is throw a problem out there and challenge a team. And then they, you know, they come back with a solution. And it's absolutely amazing to see what people can come back with. Um, that's how, you know, some of our automation actually was born, you know, is like, okay, you know, we have these repetitive tasks in operations. 
how can you guys solve them so we don't have to deal with them anymore? And a team over in India came up with what we call the self-healing framework. And, uh, you know, look for repetitive problems. You know, it's an AI engine. Um, they used open source, so they played around with it. I went over there for a visit. They showed me what it can do. I said, wow, this is absolutely great. Let's start using it. And now it's used for a lot of different things, including as, you know, um, a test harness, you know, to fuel test cases through end-to-end testing. So we've done a lot with, you know, the different automation frameworks that, that they've built. But I just like to throw, you know, things out, say, hey, you know, what could be, you know, how could we solve this? And, you know, see what people come back with. And That's- they come great ideas. That's great. I like that. Crowdsource an idea or, or inspire, yeah, yeah, yeah. inspire people to come up with new ideas. That's really great. I wonder if you have any, any thoughts also about how you, how you groom leaders of the future. How do you think about, you know, people management and, you know, succession planning and, you know, as you identify people who have the potential for leadership, you know, even creative, the extent to which you like to get into those topics and the, like, you know, training them and, and providing them, you know, upskilling them, these sorts of things. Any nuances to the, to your approach there? I think it's providing opportunity, right? So giving them the ability to, you know, work on special assignments, work on things that are stretch goals, you know, step outside of their comfort zone a bit and say, hey, you know, this may be something I'm not totally comfortable with, but I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to try it out. But you have to let them know that you're behind them, right? So that if there is a little of a bit of a stumble there, that you're there side by side in order to catch them and help them along the way. Because, you know, it's a learning, it's a learning experience to be able to, you know, broaden out and go deeper. So, you know, my philosophy is, is to, you know, work side by side and, you know, kind of be behind the scenes while the person is there. And, you know, you do test runs with them or you, you, know, you provide advice or you say, hey, have you thought about these particular elements that maybe they haven't thought about because they just don't have the experience, they just haven't done it before. So really be that coach and mentor behind the scenes and say, you know, this might be a little bit difficult for you, but hey, you know, if you make a mistake or you stumble, I'm here to support you. And then that becomes a learning experience. I like that. And is it, as you think about who to provide those kind of stretch opportunities for, or to get involved in, in the kinds of activities that, that have like a little bit of like newness to them and therefore like potential risk to them where they may fall down, as you say, and where where you'll support them. Does that connect it somehow to like the talent evaluation process? Like, wow, she is a rising star in our team. Let's provide her a special assignment as a result of that? Or is there a different way in which you allocate some of those assignments? Yeah, so I think you, um, or at least what I do is I, I try to, at least with my directs and others, you know, I try to work with all of them in different ways, right? I want to understand where are they in, you know, in their own head? What are they thinking about? You know, what are their challenges? Where do they want to be? And some people are happy with what they're doing. They just want you know more of the same, right? So if it's a more of the same, then providing those opportunities there. You know, other people want you know big stretch goals and visibility. So I think you know my philosophy is really to get to know the individual and get to know you know what their goals and objectives are. And then there's there's that, but then there's also what does the company need, 
right? And then looking for what the company needs in different areas and then kind of doing that pair up. And over the years, I've actually, you know, even surprised myself by people who have raised their hands to say, hey, you know, I'm interested in that opportunity. It's like, oh, wow, I had no idea. Or, you know, somebody is like, I don't want to have anything to do with that, right? It's just something that I'm not interested in. Or even moving people into a slightly different area, and then they blossom like a flower, right? So it's really getting to know the person for who the person is, not for the role that they're in at a particular time. Because when I talk to people, I say, you know, you have background before you came to Adobe and you've done other jobs at Adobe. So let's kind of put it all on the table and then figure out, you know, what your background is and, you know, where you are in your career and really what you like and what you dislike. And then, you know, I just kind of analyze that in my head and say, hey, you know, let's let's work on something together. That's really great. This has really been great. I appreciate your willingness to take a little time to chat with me about this. No problem. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. This interview featured insights that you'll find in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. In an era of unprecedented technology progress and disruption, it's imperative that companies transform themselves to keep up with their digitally native competitors. In Getting to Nimble, I explore how companies, including Capital One, FedEx, CarMax, Domino's Pizza, The Washington Post, Walmart, and others, have modernized their practices related to people, processes, technology, ecosystems, and strategy. And I provide a framework for companies looking to do the same. To learn more, visit gettingtonimble.com.